guys welcome back to another episode of horror wine and crime what's going on Lo? hey hey i got me a little special guest in the studio today i know i see it and i wish that you guys could see it too because you have the cutest special guest ever today i got my little lola butts and for you guys that don't know what a lola butts is it's my little <laughs> chunky cockapoo Maltese mix, who's supposed to be like 10 to 13 pounds. She's probably pushing 17 to 19. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. She's got her she's got her winter coat on, you know? Yes. It's that time of year. <laughs> Happens to the best. Happy late Thanksgiving, y'all. Yes, happy late Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys had a really good Thanksgiving. How was yours? Um, it was good. I had family time with both sides of the family, the in-laws and my family and, um, definitely lots of food. Uh, Crystal will appreciate this. She's going to have to come over, but Pat made, um, homemade apple pie from the apples out of our backyard. Shut up. And he did the, the crumble top oh. and it was really good if you thought his applesauce was good you're gonna have to have him make you a pie oh my gosh i can only imagine like you guys don't understand these are like magic apples that he has going on because the applesauce is so good and i can only imagine how good the pie would have been well when i'm not sick i'll have you and bread over and we'll have dinner and pie I'm there. Just tell me when. Just say when. <laughs> Just text me pie and I'll be on my way. <laughs> as soon as my sniffles go away. Yeah. Now this uh, landslide of coughing, aching, stuffy nose. The worst. Commercial. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Everybody's getting sick and I'm I feel bad that you got hit with it, but hopefully, hopefully it'll go away soon for you. Yeah, the first couple of days were the worst, but it's getting there. But KK and I and my daughter and her her boo bear, she'll kill me with she <laughs> um, <laughs> We went to see Thanksgiving in the theaters. With uh, so good, sexiest man alive, Patrick Dempsey. I didn't name it, the world did, but you know, I think he burned himself. I think he is a good looking cat. Yeah, I mean, I'm not fully on board, but like, I'm not like totally against it either. Now, I wouldn't judge with the sheriff uniform and things, right. But, like, I'm going back and I'm watching Grey's Anatomy. And he goes from wearing a doctor outfit, which hot, okay, a good-looking man in scrubs, right? Right. And then he always, when he's not wearing scrubs, he's one of those guys on TV that just dresses, like, super nice. Like, nice-fitting jeans with the sweater that has, like, the little zipper by the collar or just, you know, I don't know, very form-fitting, nice clothes you know okay i'm gonna have to pay attention because i haven't really paid attention at all 
Like, I feel like I don't really see him too often. So, or I just, I guess. Anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's got to be it. <laughs> but I see, I can see it. And he's like, I said, he's got these, these compassionate eyes we were just talking about. Like, when he's looking at you in the screen, or not looking at me, I guess he's looking at Meredith, but. <laughs> yeah, it, they're so compassionate that you feel like they're looking right at you. <laughs> right. You're just like, oh my God. Pick me, choose me, love me. <laughs> That's so funny. I know. I definitely agree about that. The com- the compassion eyes. I can hundred percent see that. Um, yeah. Who else big was in this movie? Um, was there any other like big stars in it, or was it mainly just like? I don't think there were any like huge actors in it. Aside from him, really. Yeah, that's the one that I can. Um, if you guys are my suit follower fans, if you guys watch suits like I do, uh, Lewis Litt, that's his name in suits, he was in it. But like the teenage cast, oh, wasn't Addison Ray in it? Oh, yeah, she was probably the most popular, most famous out of the younger people in it which i asked my daughter i was like it was a cool scene addison ray you still into her and she's like no i'm like oh she's already like old news she's like yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like she is i feel like she was like you know popular a few years ago but she's kind of where everybody's an influencer now it's not as big deal <laughs> yeah that's what i think <laughs> but what i will say about this movie opening scene chaotic okay <laughs> Like, me and Lo were having anxiety attacks with the opening scene. Yes. And it wasn't even... That wasn't even the main... It wasn't... Yeah. I don't even know how to... <laughs> She's flustered just thinking about it. Just the, the Black Friday madness before the gates and you just know people are going to be assholes and the pushing and the squeezing and the so many people close to each other and the touching. I looked over at Kay and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm having anxiety. She's like, same. I like wanted it to end. I just wanted that part to be over because I was like, I'm getting freaked out just watching this. I know. But but I thought it it was a good movie overall. Yeah, I definitely liked it. They kind of left it a little bit, like not to spoil anything, um, but they left it a little bit on like a cliffhanger. And I heard there possibly might be a sequel that they're going to make. So I guess we'll see if they do that Um, because they for sure could. But also, if they didn't, I think it would be fine too where they left it, you know? Yeah. um, It's not one of those movies where I'm like, oh my God, when it comes out, I'm going to totally watch it again a hundred times but it was one of those where I was like I'm glad I watched it it was entertaining it was at least the idea was something different than just constant paranormal stuff you know yeah exactly like I liked it and I would you know watch it again if it was like streaming somewhere and somebody else wanted to watch it or whatever but yeah, like you said, I wouldn't, I'm not like dying to like watch it over and over again. Right. But I liked the idea. They did a good job with it. Yeah, I thought so too. 
but now um moving on to the crime stories of today we're gonna start out with like a little mini um crime story that i read from people um and this just happened like not long ago at all and i thought it was like just kind of funny because this is like obviously a true crime podcast and there are a ton of people who are like hooked and obsessed with true crime and usually that the extent of that is just like people like listening to podcasts watching documentaries you know all that stuff but not to the point where they actually want to like carry out the crimes themselves you know usually the fascination kind of stops with just like watching about it um but not with this girl she uh she was obsessed to the point of wanting to kill somebody just out of the pure curiosity of being super into like true crime You've never wanted to just do it out of curiosity. Caitlin, sorry, Caitlin ghosted us. <laughs> oh my gosh! Shout out. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh my gosh, she's gonna like. It's like she listens and she just files a restraining order. <laughs> no, I'm not that I was going to. I was trying to make the joke like. I already took care of it. That's why she's not around anymore. Oh, okay. So there will be no restraining order, I guess. Uh, oh, my gosh. You guys, if you know, well, you know. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still loved it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, But yeah, so this is about a young true crime obsessed woman who killed and dismembered a female tutor that she had just out of pure curiosity um so 23 year old jung yu jung was sentenced to life in prison on friday now this took place in south korea um and this news comes from bbc korea daily and the korea times so jung was arrested in june in connection with the premeditated murder of a female tutor that she met online Uh, a news station there reported and police said that she created an elaborate plan to meet the woman and kill her just because she wanted to see what it was like I feel like there are so many motives for people to, like, obviously commit murder. You know, the most common ones that we see are, like, love and cheating and money and anger, you know. But you never really, like, what'd you say? The crime of passion. Yeah, exactly. But you never really hear about, like, too many people murdering somebody just because you know they're just curious (laughs) um so yeah jung was found to have premeditated the crime because she had a desire to kill someone after she became obsessed with murder 
from different TV shows and books that she would read. So according to the outlet, investigators said that Jung posed as a mother on a tutoring app. Um, You know, she was saying that she was just looking for someone to teach her daughter the English language. And she found the victim after contacting about 54 people, um, mostly all of which who were women that were these tutors on the app. So once she, like, handpicked the one that she wanted. Now, I don't really know, like, what made her pick this one particular woman over the others unless like it just didn't work out time-wise or whatever the situation was but once she picked out the woman that she wanted she arrived at her home and she posed as a young student and dressed in a school uniform which to me that's just like so extra twisted like she like dressed up and was like pretending to be this like young student first she pretended to be the mother and then she pretended to be the student well not only that but my lord like in 54 people i know like Like, that's that's a lot lot. well to like (laughs) to go through especially like that's what i'm like probably the most curious on is like why did she pick her Because, like, out of the 54 people, whether, like, it didn't work because of, like, location or timing or anything, I'm sure a decent chunk of them still would have worked out. So I'm, like, wondering why she ultimately went with this lady. I don't know. She was looking for something in particular, though. Yeah, exactly. So the news station that was reporting on this said that Jung is short and... With the uniform on, the victim probably did mistake her for a middle school student because um, she just kind of like fit that description. So she probably wasn't really thinking too much into it. So after Jung entered the victim's house, she stabbed her multiple times. And then she went to a supermarket where she purchased bins and bleach before returning to the residence where she dismembered her. Um, And according to the BBC, Jung then took a taxi to dispose of some of the body parts in the woods. And the driver alerted police of her suspicious behavior afterwards. Which is so wild to me. Like, she's just in this taxi cab with, like, body dismembered body parts. Well, not only that, like, there's a difference of, like, I want to know what it's like to kill somebody and then you do it versus kill somebody and then cut them up in tiny pieces and spread them throughout the city. Yeah, like, she's a a psychopath. (laughs) No, for, yeah. (laughs) Like, she took it a full step further by doing all that. It's, like, one thing to be curious, but then, like, to just, like, keep getting more and more dark with it. And I can't even imagine, like, obviously she would have suspicious behavior because you're just, like, in this taxi cab with this random person driving you and you have, like, body parts with you. And what do you say, excuse me, make a left in the woods, make a right at the tree? Slow down for a second. Make a left at that tree. Okay, if you hold on real quick, I'll be right back. 
<laughs> You're right. That could, you know, sound some alarms. <laughs> uh, oh, excuse me. I got to get this tote out of your trunk. Hold on. Like, just give me a second. It's a little heavy. Meanwhile, there's probably just like a reeking amount of like bleach smell coming from whatever like container she had her body parts in. Blood dripping down the side of it. <laughs> just horrible. So partial body parts were discovered in the woods, while additional body parts were then found at Jung's home. So she, she definitely spread them out in different places. Um, police also said that her browsing history on her computer showed that she had searched how to kill and ways to get rid of a body um, in the months leading up to the murder, which I'm like, are you kidding? You're really not that big of a true crime fan. Like, that, if you are, you that should be, like, the number one thing that you know. Is like, you don't search weird shit like that if you're going to commit a murder. Because obviously they're going to figure you out. Rookies. For real. That just makes me think of the girl who, like, faked her kidnapping. And she was, like, searching, like, Googling how to, like, get away with the kidnapping and like how to withdraw money and like stuff like that i'm like are you an idiot so obviously they figured it out and you know with the connection to her scheduling a time over the internet with this woman to meet at her home i think it was pretty obvious for them to find her and then like the taxi cab driver reporting her behavior and then clearly the body parts being found at her home she ultimately was arrested and convicted of murder, desecration, and abandonment of a corpse. Um, and in addition to her sentence, she also must wear a tracking device for 30 years, which I don't know if that's like a normal thing that they do in Korea, but I think that was interesting. Like, you know, if she's going to be in prison anyways but also has to wear a tracking device. I don't know if that's, like, normal or whatnot. But on Friday, the judge um, at the Busan District Court said that Yu Jung committed the murder despite not knowing her beforehand for her own perverse reasons. They also said that the crime incited a general distrust in the South Korean community, and according to the BBC, the victim, who they have never publicly identified, um, was 26 years old. So, you know, she was still young and had, like, a long life ahead of her. She was probably, like, a typical age of somebody who's out there tutoring, just trying to make extra money. And she, of course, just randomly gets picked and murdered by this <laughs> crazy girl who's apparently just curious. Yeah. I know. So yeah, that was just a little mini crime story of the week that I saw on people and I thought it was super interesting. So I thought I would share that with you guys. All you you true crime fans, hopefully none of you are as into it as she was. Well, I just can't imagine being the victim's family too and the only closure you get is because... I just wanted to know what it felt like. Like my sister or daughter or mother, or whoever my relative is, died because you just wanted to see what it'd feel like to take a life. Like, 
This yeah, be- I can't imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they have to be, like, so mad. Like, obviously, like, devastated and sad. But, like, I would be angry, honestly. Because, yeah, like, there's no reason. It's not like she did anything to this girl to give her any sort of motive. It was just, like, she was randomly picked. Yep. Yeah, so that's horrible. And I feel for that woman's family but i'm glad that they did catch her obviously and that she'll be uh, away for a long time but on to today's main story uh we're gonna be talking about a woman named susan polk and she was a california mother of three So, Susan Polk, she met a man named Dr. Polk. He was a psychotherapist in 1972 when administrators at her high school recommended that she see him to treat her panic attacks. I guess she was having a lot of issues in school surrounding anxiety and just feeling overwhelmed. You know, I a lot of not only high schoolers feel that, but a lot of people feel that. And her school just felt like it would probably be beneficial if she went and talked to somebody and just got some help because they were starting to get really bad. And Susan later, she made the claim that Dr. Polk first had sex with her when she was 16 and still under his treatment, which obviously is a huge violation of professional ethics in the relationship between therapist and patient. Not only in the relationship between therapist and patient, but, like, he was a grown-ass adult and she was 16. Right. Um, and since then, I'm not exactly sure what the laws were like in the 70s as far as that goes. But today in California, it's now illegal clearly as it should be but um in the 70s i don't think that that was the case and just cherry on top of all that situation so at the time of their little inappropriate relationship going on dr polk he also had a wife and two children so he was a remember the movie the crush what did you say? I said I'm getting the crush vibes. You remember the movie The Crush with Alicia Silverstone? Oh yes. Yep. I totally get that. Yep. That's definitely uh applicable to this. Um, so yeah, great catch this this Dr. Polk. Um great guy. <laughs> so after graduating from high school, Susan attended Mills College. Um, and San Francisco State University. She graduated magna cum laude. So she was, you know, doing pretty good, going to college, getting good grades. And then fast forward to 1982, she ended up marrying Dr. Polk. 
Oh, so they, they really were all getting it on, huh? They really were. So he had divorced his previous wife, the one that he was cheating on her with Susan with, in 1982. And then also got married to Susan in 1982. So all in the same year, he divorced his wife and then married Susan. Okay. See, I thought she was just going to be, like, obsessed with him and she was going to be crazy. But, okay, okay. Nope, nope. So. Her share of crazy to go around. So it has been 10 years at this point because she had first, you know, met with Dr. Polk in 72 and now they're getting married in 82 um now as far as like in between that time within that 10 years i don't know if they were seeing each other all the time or if it was like an off and on thing throughout the years um but clearly something stuck because it's been 10 years and they're now getting married um so at this point Dr. Polk is now an instructor at the California Graduate School of Family Psychology, and he was an occasional consultant as well as a private practitioner. So at the time of their wedding, Susan was 24 years old, and her husband, Dr. Polk, was 50. So during their marriage the couple ended up having three sons together. But in 2001, so at that point, they had been married for what? Let me do the fast math here. Like 19 years? So they'd been together for a long time. Which, you know, if you ask me, I I would not have seen that coming, but, you know, you never know, I guess. But being together for 19 years in 2001, Susan did end up filing for divorce. And it definitely was a complicated and contentious situation. Um, And each of them at some point contacted police with allegations of domestic violence. Um, So it was not like a pretty situation. It wasn't like a oh, we're going our separate ways amicably, you know. It was like, it was a toxic situation. So at one point when police asked Dr. Polk whether Susan had made threats or had been violent at all, he said that she had not. So he told police, you know, no, she, she hasn't been violent or made any threats or anything like that. Now, I don't know at that point if that was true or not, you know, because I feel like a lot of times in situations, you know, people might lie just to protect the other person. Yeah. Um, but who knows, you know, maybe she wasn't, you know, just go off of his word at this point, I guess. So a year later in 2002, Susan was living in Montana Dr. Polk was able to petition the courts um, without providing Susan any form of official notice in advance. So the courts granted Dr. Polk sole custody of 
their youngest son, Gabriel, who was a minor. And they also, like, really lowered and reduced Susan's alimony. Um, and Dr. Polk also received sole possession of their house. Now, this was kind of, like, confusing to me. Like, the fact that he could do all this and, you know, essentially win all of this in court without giving Susan any form of, like, official notice. I didn't even know that that could be a thing. Because, you know, I thought that both parties had to, like, <laughs> be fully aware of what was happening. But I guess apparently not. And he he got a lot of stuff maybe within he, the divorce. You know, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Cause I don't really know why else that would happen. Um, so yeah, he got obviously a lot more money, the house, and complete custody of their youngest son. So needless to say, Susan was a tad bit pissed off. <laughs> You know, which, like, I don't blame her. Like, obviously, I would be pissed off, too. That's, like, a lot to lose in the divorce. You know what I mean? Right. Well, you also got to remember, they're, like, almost 20 years apart, age-wise. Mm -hmm. So, if I had to guess, he already owned that house. He was already living there, established. Wife one moved out, wife two moved in. Yeah, so, honestly, I I would think the same I thing. My house before we got married, not after. So that's probably why he won that house. That would definitely make sense because, yeah, with him getting divorced and remarried in the same year, I'm sure it was like a just switching wives out of the house situation and also you know he did obviously have a a successful career so he was probably making a lot more money than she would have been um so yeah you know most people in this situation they would be uh sad or angry um and you know they would just bitch about it to their friends and you know just be mad um susan took a little bit of a different approach <laughs> okay so on wednesday october 9th susan went to the home to get some of her stuff um and she also had like a dental procedure where she was having like a crown put on her tooth so she had to go by that area as well because, remember, she was living in Montana at the time. So apparently, I guess she didn't switch dentists. So she just went to her previous dentist while she was in town. Um, and then a couple days later, on the 11th, their oldest son, Adam, he came home from UCLA to pick up his dog um, and kind of hang out for the weekend. And while he was there, they just hung out, had like a normal weekend um, with the three kids and their dad. Um, so by the time he was leaving on the 13th, Dr. Polk, Adam, who's their oldest son, and then their youngest son, Gabriel, they drove Adam and the dog back to UCLA. 
So now at this point, it's just Dr. Polk and Gabriel, the youngest son, by themselves. And after they dropped Adam off, they got home around like 9.30 p.m. And at this point, Dr. Polk is 70 years old. Because, you know, it had been like 20 years since they got married. And the next day, he was just found dead. And sadly, it was Gabriel who found him, his youngest son. So 911 dispatchers in Orinda, California, which is about like 20 minutes from San Francisco, they got a call from 15-year-old Gabriel around 9 p.m. on that day, which was October 14th. So Gabriel said to dispatchers, he said, uh, my mom shot my dad after he found his 70-year-old father dead. Which I think is so sad when, like, it's the kids that find them. Especially in a situation like this where, like, your mom's the one who's killing him. You know what I mean? Because then you're just put in, like, a horrible situation between mom and dad, you know? You're going to need a good psychologist. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, maybe one of uh, Dr. Polk's. (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) Maybe one of his colleagues can help him out. (laughs) So... Dr. Polk, he was found in the main room of the pool house. He was on his back, laying in like a pool of blood. He said to the 911 operator that he went outside and hid behind some garbage cans and then called 911, which um, Dr. Casey Jordan, a criminologist, said. Gabe told police that he had been waiting to go to a baseball game with his dad. In the afternoon, but his father hadn't shown up. His mother, Susan, said that she didn't know where he was. And at this point, you know, when his dad wasn't back by 9 p.m., Gabe obviously got, like, nervous and, like, concerned about where his dad was. So he decided to go check the pool house. And obviously, that's when he found his dad and called 911. But... Investigators soon realized that despite what Gabe reported to 911, Dr. Polk hadn't even been shot. So, like, he had told the dispatchers that his mom shot his dad, but when they were, like, looking at his dead body, he didn't even have, like, any gunshot wounds. So, they're like, okay, what actually happened to him? So, an autopsy report showed that Dr. Polk actually passed about 22 hours prior to when his body was found. So he was sitting there for almost a full day. And the reason that he had died is because he had more than 20 stab wounds, including five to his torso. He had also been hit in the back of the head with a blunt object. That's a lot more than just being shot. Yeah, like a lot more. And and really confused on how they like. Okay. Yeah, like how does it go from a gunshot to like? Oh no, he was brutally stabbed 
like more than 20 times and also hit in the back of the head. Um, they found that there were no signs of a struggle or of forced entry to the pool house. So they kind of like determined, you know, that it wasn't like a breaking and entering situation because it didn't look like anybody had broken into the place and it didn't look like they were fighting around the room or anything like that. So now investigators are like, okay, let's dive a bit deeper into Dr. Polk, who his name's Felix, by the way. I keep calling him Dr. Polk. Um, they're like, let's dive deeper into his and Susan's marriage. So as police interviewed Gabe, they realized that his parents... You know, they're, they were having a bit of a failing marriage. Obviously, they were getting divorced. There was a lot of contention there. They pulled up all the police reports from previous arguments that they had where they had called the police on each other. Um, Susan's mother, she also revealed a lot of troubling details about their relationship to police. She had told them how Susan first met Dr. Polk when she was a teenager and she was having behavioral issues um, and you know she's like the school recommended to her her to see him he was her therapist he was 25 years older than her her mom says Susan was at a very vulnerable time in her life she was 15 she was very damaged by her parents divorce so you know she was a young girl who was in a rough place. So obviously, if this older guy who's making her feel mentally better is kind of like, I don't even know, like grooming her to like be with him, um, obviously it would be a little bit easier to take advantage of her. So that's what her mom believed too. You know, she's she thinks that he took advantage of Susan she alleges that when Susan was 15, Felix Polk engaged in non-consensual sex with her by hypnotizing her and drugging her. Which, that's like a huge accusation. You know, it's one thing to have like a patient and like doctor relationship. But then to claim that he was hypnotizing and drugging her, that's like a whole other thing to deal with. And then divorces his wife and marries her. Right. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's kind of confusing because if he was drugging her and, like, hypnotizing her and doing all this stuff to, like, be with him. I don't know. Like, was she still, like, under the effect when she got married to him at 24? Even so, like, he has to be doing it for what you said they're married, what, 19 years? That's a lot of time yeah. with the charade. Yeah, so it's just kind of like, and two, I don't know. They had, what, two sons? Three. Three, so I don't know. There's a lot of sketchiness going around here. Right, it's kind of like a he said, she said game. It's like, you don't really know what the true story is because... There are so many different sides. So they say that it wasn't just rape, but that 
Dr. Polk had a terribly inappropriate, truly abusive, exploitative relationship with Susan. They said that Susan seemed to be in love with him, um, and she eventually told her mother. And then her mom obviously wasn't too happy because of, you know, she was a high school student and he was her therapist. Uh, So she wasn't super happy with him and she confronted him and told him, you know, you're going to break off this relationship with my daughter, Um, kind of like threatening him. But clearly that didn't stick and she never reported it to police. So it's like, it's kind of hard to like say all that happened, but then you're not going to like report it to the police. But now that he's dead and her daughter's under investigation, now she says all this. So it's kind of hard to believe a little bit. Yeah, because you're painting a picture and the guy is not around to defend himself. Exactly. Like, if I had a 15-year-old daughter in high school who was having, like, mental health issues and the school... (laughs) What? I said, sorry. I said, tell me all about that. (laughs) But if the school suggested this therapist for me to send her to and then... He's hypnotizing, drugging, and raping her. Like, you you better believe I'm sending the police his way. And I wouldn't wait 20-something years later after they've gotten married and had kids. And then he's gotten murdered to say something. So it just makes her look kind of sketchy, you know? You better get there before I get there. No, for real. <laughs> That's why I'm like, I don't know about her whole story. So, according to her mother, you know, once Susan was in high school and that whole situation happened, she stopped seeing Dr. Polk. But then she started a relationship with him again in college when she was like 19 or 20. Um, She had gotten a new therapist and she told that therapist about her relationship with Dr. Polk um, when she was his underage patient. And the new doctor, instead of turning Felix Polk in, he calls his wife and lets her know. Which I think is kind of weird. And then the wife obviously... Yeah, like, why are you calling his wife? Like, you don't even know her. And so, I mean, I get it. Like, I would want... If I was his wife, I would want to know too. But like, if I was her new therapist, that wouldn't be my number one priority. (laughs) You know what I mean? To like call his wife. So the new therapist calls Dr. Polk's ex-wife and lets her know all about the situation with Susan. And then that's why the wife wanted to divorce Felix, obviously. And he decided that the best way to handle this scandal head on is to go ahead and divorce his wife and marry Susan. So that's what they're saying the whole situation was, that this new therapist outed Felix, made his ex-wife divorce him, and then he just married Susan to try and avoid any, like, scandal 
going on. But like you said, they were married for 20 years and had three kids. So I feel like if it wasn't a legit relationship, they would not have stayed married that long and had children together. At least that many children, you know? And you would like to think that if he was doing this to Susan, like somewhere along the line, he would have tried it with somebody else and there would have been some kind of claims somewhere else. Yeah, that's what you would think. Because it's not, because in these situations, it's like, I feel like so rare for it to just happen to one person when they're pulling that kind of stuff. Especially if he had the high school recommending students to him, then he would have students in there all the time. So, yeah, it is just kind of fishy how, like, all these stories and allegations got stirred up after he was murdered and after Susan was kind of being investigated into. So three sons that they had together, Adam was the oldest, Eli was the middle, and Gabriel was the youngest. And by 2002, when Felix was murdered, the two oldest sons had moved out, um, and obviously their marriage had deteriorated. So they just had Gabriel left as the only minor um, under their care. Now, Linda Bernard, who was a licensed marriage and family therapist, she says that this had been building up and she was going to file for divorce. And Gabe also confirmed to police that there were a lot of troubles in their marriage. He says the last four years have been really just hell. I mean, they've been arguing just at each other's throats. So he confirmed that they definitely had a very contentious relationship as well. Might have been a little bit toxic there. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So in early October of 2002, just weeks before the murder, Susan had even traveled to Montana to find a new place to live. You know, she was like, I want to start over um, just wanting a fresh start. I think somewhere Montana seems pretty different from California. So I think she just wanted like a whole new, whole new beginning. Whole new world. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So when she was coming back from Montana, Gabe says she actually called my dad and told him what she planned to do. Um, And he told police of his father's accusations in an interview. She says that she threatened to shoot him with a shotgun. Now, Susan was also making other accusations about Felix, including that he was paying people to follow her. So she was like... I don't know if she was paranoid or if this was true, but she was making comments that her husband was a Mossad agent, which was Israeli secret police. Um, Very random and specific, but Michael Costa, who was a former um, Contra Costa Sheriff's detective, said this. He says that he had prior knowledge of the 9-11 attack And he tried to poison her dogs at one point. Like, very wild statements that she's making. I don't know if these are true, 
you know, these are just alleged that she stated, but um, just super like all over the place and random. Um, he put an attack out on the U.S. and also tried to kill my dog. <laughs> like two, definitely two horrible situations, but just like such bizarre statements to make. So while Susan was away in Montana, police learned that Felix took steps against her in their divorce, including getting a restraining order to give him sole custody of their children and sole possession of their home. Obviously, we know how that turned out. He got what he wanted. He also managed to have her monthly payments reduced from $6,000 a month down to $1,700 a month, a month, which is like insane. $6,000 a month was her original payments. Just it was alimony money. So like just because she was married to him, she was getting $6,000 a month. Oof. I mean, that is a big drop, but also like you're divorced. You're still young, like go get a job and an extra $1,700 a month just for being married to him. Like, that's not too bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? But clearly she was not happy with that. And apparently when she discovered what Felix had done, she immediately co-opted her son, Gabriel, to help move all of her husband's belongings into the guest house behind their home. Which I don't know how, why she would think she would be allowed to do that because he got the house. So, like, he could just kick her out fully whenever he wanted. Um, and three days before his murder, Dr. Felix Polk called 911 to report a domestic dispute after Susan kicked him out of the main house and changed the locks on the doors. Now... A clump of hair was discovered in Felix's hand at the murder scene, and DNA evidence proved it belonging to Susan. So, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. Like, it's right there. Right. <laughs> like, you're caught. I mean, if, if the whole situation... Like, he's got a head full of your hair, right? Yeah, like, when you leave. Right, like, clearly she didn't assess the the situation at all. And it's like, if the whole situation beforehand of their whole, like, divorce and, like, the police being called and all of this evidence against her wasn't enough, like, they literally got her because a clump of her hair was on him at the scene of the crime. And also, like, her son ratted her out he got the details wrong i still don't get that because he said that she shot him now i think that he said that he sh that she shot him because she had threatened to shoot him before so i think that maybe gabriel just walked in saw his dead dad or saw his dad dead with like a bunch of blood around him and probably assumed that she shot him because that was the threat that she made um but yeah, I mean, all all signs are pointing to Susan. <laughs> so naturally, police questioned her about what happened. 
Detective Costa said she seemed very aloof. She didn't seem shook up that her husband was dead. You know, so she was kind of playing it cool. Like she didn't go off or go crazy or also didn't seem really sad about it. She eventually admitted to killing Felix, but she argued that she did it in self-defense. They got into an argument. He grabbed a knife. He attacked her with the knife. And apparently she says that she was in fear for her life. She said that she'd been abused abused before by him and he had threatened her. Susan also claims that her husband lied to everyone, including their children, about her. Uh, she also says that he was turning the children against her, constantly telling them that she was mentally ill and just gaslighting her. Now, again, this is her word against his and he can't really speak because he's dead. But, you know, investigators didn't really find like any type of struggle and there were no like wounds on her like she didn't get hurt and she's saying that he came at her with a knife so she must be like really strong and good at fighting if she like like didn't make any scene like there was no nothing broken nothing crazy happening in the house and she got the knife away from him and then stabbed him over 20 times and also at some point hit him in the back of the head. So her story seems a little funky to me. But that's just my take. I mean who's to say. I guess anything could happen. Um, she eventually shocked everyone though. When she decided to fire her lawyers. And she decided to represent herself. At her 22 week long murder trial. Um, which took place in 2006. That is a bold-ass move. <laughs> yeah, you had to be damn confident. Yeah, like, I, you're up against murder charges and you're going to fire your lawyers and just represent yourself? I mean, that's, I say a bold move, but it's really a stupid move. <laughs> Probably the stupidest move you can make. I don't care how confident you are that you didn't do it or that you shouldn't be convicted or whatever. I think you still need a good group of lawyers to represent you. Yeah. But that's just me. So there were periods in the trial where some of her questioning was as good as I've ever heard, said um, one of the lawyers. But from anywhere, some of her cross-examination was really, really good. So apparently she was doing a pretty good job with it, but still seems kind of like a sketchy decision. But her decision to self-represent, it forced her to cross-examine her own sons who were testifying against her in court. So that's kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, Detective. 
it's gonna suck for the kids, man. They have to, you know, testify against your mom, but right. And like she's the one asking the questions. Yeah, but you killed dad, so like, what do you have to say, mom? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah, that had to be kind of a an awkward trial going on. Jordan said it was almost like a train wreck. They're basically being badgered by their own mother. It became a three-ring circus when she finally called her middle child, Eli, to the stand as her defense witness. It took a jury four days to come up with a verdict. Ultimately, they found Susan Polk guilty of the second-degree murder of her husband, Felix Polk. And she received a sentence of 16 years to life in prison. She's still serving her sentence. um, And she was denied parole that she requested in 2019. And she isn't eligible for parole again until 2029. So I guess we shall see in 2029 if she gets granted that. But I feel like with the nature of the crime, I would assume not. But who knows? But yeah, that was just just madness that you're going to like represent yourself and then question your own kids, but also call one of them up for your defense. Like, I can't imagine they have a very good relationship to this day. Like, I, I'm not seeing them going over to visit her in prison very often. Yeah, no. But yes, yeah, so, Google because I was curious of what she looked like. Oh, what she looked like, yeah, yeah. Like basically, this whole story is just like a back and forth of he said, she said, and there's no legitimate evidence to like back up anybody's story. So it's kind of just like you have to take what people say with a grain of salt because everybody's side is so different. You don't even know what the true story is. I believe they were both screwed up to each other. I believe he was probably ego, maybe did gas later, maybe narcissistic. You know, he's got money. He's a doctor. You know, I believe that she was crazy and she just have to be crazier and took it one step farther. Yeah, like... Again, I don't know, but like, you know, she was saying, oh, he's turning me against our kids and he's telling them that I'm mentally ill. I kind of like I feel like she might be mentally ill, like you're stabbing him a bunch of times. And also you're saying that he was a part of the 9-11 attacks and that he tried to poison your dogs and that he had people following you. Like, I, I feel like maybe she you know, kind of was mentally ill. Like, because those are just wild statements. That hit was because she was in therapy. Right, yeah. So clearly there's some, you know, and not everybody has their own, a little bit of mental stuff going on. But I just feel like with so many different things that have happened, like, she might be a little off the rails. A little bit, and not that he deserves to die and not that, you know, it's his fault, but 
you started voinking one of your patients who had mental problems. Like you're kind of setting yourself up for a possible toxic relationship from the get-go. Right. And like how ironic that it comes from a that, psychotherapist. Yeah. Like that they, I'm saying it's his fault that he was killed. Obviously maybe he didn't see that coming, but it's not like he, you know, was walking through the mall and met a nice young lady. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like he knew the situation. He knew where her mental state was at. He knew she was easy to manipulate and like take advantage of. And yeah, he, he made a bad decision ultimately which led to his death i mean obviously it took like 30 something years before he died but um if he never if he never took advantage of that 15 year old girl he would not have died in that way <laughs> just saying ah uh, yeah 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 yes so that was um today's crazy story for y'all <laughs> Isn't that a crazy story, Lullabot? She wags her tail. Heck yeah, it was. <laughs> Hopefully we entertain Lola. Oh my gosh. My nose is so clogged right now. Oh, guys. I'm such a mouth right now. <laughs> no, we should let you guys go so Lo can go get some rest. <laughs> she She needs to rest up. But I did it. I made it. Thank God Crystal took the lead today and I was just uh, little dabs here and there. <laughs> yes, you, you powered through it. <laughs> well, guys, thank you for sticking around for another episode and we will catch you again next week with a brand new story. And I will be feeling way better and until then i'm gonna go watch compassionate eyes derek shepherd and <laughs> maybe a little bit of mike ross and suits i don't know one of them will make me happy so one or both at <laughs> that note we got to go stay creepy peace yo <laughs> bye, bye.